Welcome to today's Video Insiders podcast. I'm Tom Martin. And I'm Carlos Pacheco. And we're here to take you inside the world of YouTube and online video. What is the word on the streets in Toronto this week, Carlos? The word on the street is spring is in the air. <laughs> Sorry, I can't believe another weather update. You just, I just, I hope you're, I hope you're sitting in front of like a green screen and like pointing at warm weather fronts that are coming down the coming down the line. <laughs> oh well, I, I couldn't help it. It's feeling good uh, after uh, you know a rough winter. The weather really affects everybody in the city here. You're in a place where the weather basically stays the same all the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have some blossom on the tree outside of my okay. window, so it's a slightly sunnier world where I am. <laughs> but apart from the weather, how is the climate, shall we say, in the agency? at which you are a big part of. See what I did there? <laughs> I would say the climate is rocking it and rolling. Lots of projects that are in the works, clients that are happy, things moving forward. It's a different beat from my old beat of being a channel manager, but it's definitely not a boring beat. It's it's really interesting to see the perspective, you know, from uh, brands who are advertising and what they're looking at in terms of numbers and what we're trying to sort of like, you know, I'm almost like uh, anti-advertising uh, in, in certain ways where we're trying to educate our brands to be a little bit more like creators. And, you know, to this day, they're still looking for those those metrics that sometimes can be a little empty, Right. And, you know, the impressions, the views and all that sort of stuff. And they pay for those views. You know, some of them are more valuable than others. It, it really detaches me from the creator side of things. And it really shows me that the advertisers and the brands, they don't really know what a creator or a content owner has to deal with on a regular basis. They just want their impressions, their views. It, they, they don't know what's happening. So, Everybody is talking within the community, like this community that we're, you know, paying attention to. That we're sort of like, you know, I can't say we're a hundred percent in a creator community. We're more of a, you know, we're, we're we're part of it, but we're not creators ourselves. But we understand the struggle of it, and it's really interesting to see how the marketing ecosystem is completely outside of it, is not paying attention to it, and doesn't know the struggle, the stress. The, all that sort of stuff is happening uh, in the creator side of the stuff. So it's, it's, I'm trying to sort of like juggle both sides of it, but it's, uh, it's really interesting on, on that side of things. Yeah, I think definitely we should um, probably have a future episode around, because I see a, a growing number. Uh, I'm spending an increasing amount of time. Uh, and when I say increasing amount of time, I mean, you know, maybe one minute a day instead of 30 seconds a day on LinkedIn. <laughs> I can see an increasing layer of YouTube video marketing experts, consultants. Um, and I, I'd love to talk a bit more about that and also what it's like to work with um, creators and companies as a consultant, something that we've both now got quite a lot of experience in. Um, so yeah, let us know if that's something you'd like to hear uh, a bit more about. You can email us hello at video insiders or tweet us at video insiders. Yeah. Um, I would like, before we get 
in today's topic, I want to put a bit of a plea out there. You may remember, I can't remember the number of the uh, episode, but a few episodes back, we spoke about buying and selling YouTube channels. Was it legal? Was it breaking terms of service? I've continued my quest to try and get an answer from YouTube. I've tweeted at the CEO, (laughs) the heads of departments, emailing various different departments. I've emailed the press team, everything. Absolutely no joy. So if you know somebody at YouTube or if you have a definitive answer, please get in contact with us uh, via those same channels we mentioned before. And I'll add that that's episode four. Okay, thank you. So episode four, if you haven't listened to it, go back. Really interesting episode, really interesting discussion. But there was a bit of an open end because we still don't know really the official view from YouTube I'm actually speaking to uh, an attorney at the moment based over in the States who's doing a bit of digging for me, um, but I still think we're probably going to need a definitive answer from the platform themselves. So if you do know anyone or anything that could help us, please do get in touch because it's something that I'm really interested in. I think it's going to only be a growing phenomenon of people buying and selling channels as assets. And, of course, I'd love to share that information with our audience who it has a big effect on. Yeah, it's, it's a question that nobody seems to want or just, you know, dig too deep into. <laughs> yeah. Or open Pandora's box and actually ask if what they've already done in terms of buying or selling was yeah. or not in breach of terms of service. Yeah, exactly. So today we're going to get um, a bit technical. We're going to get into the weeds, a bit more of like a how-to type episode but before we jump into that of course uh we need to say thank you to our incredible friends and sponsors over at tubebuddy thank you tubebuddy tubebuddy has been my lifesaver over the last five to six years at this point i've been a customer for that long tubebuddy is the ultimate tool for anybody who manages a youtube channel or a number of youtube channels whenever i talk about tubebuddy i like to talk about the features that really help me and really help creators. And one of the features that I just like, and it's not, it's not even the deepest of the features, but it's, it's helped me sort of answer questions from clients. And it's the Channelytics feature. And that's that little option you get when you download the Chrome extension on your desktop is to see your competition, how they're performing and how many views they're getting a month and how many times they're uploading per month, how many subscribers they're getting per month. And that can be a quick insight that you can tell your client when you're working with them and they're like, I want to grow as fast as that guy or as that content owner. And they're saying, well, they're uploading three times a week. You're uploading once a month. So there's a, there's a huge difference there. And that's just one of the dozens, if not hundreds of tools that TubeBuddy offers you just to help you really understand what's happening on your channel, how, how it's happening with other channels as well. Thank you, TubeBuddy. Yeah, it is really an invaluable tool. And if you're not using it yet, even more incentive to do so is that you can get a exclusive discount by being a Video Insiders listener. And to claim that unique discount, you need to visit www.videoinsiders.fm forward slash TubeBuddy. Thank you. So today we've already kind of touched on it, but um, we've said that we've worked with a lot of clients and spoke with a lot of clients and we've told them usually a lot of the same advice, which is you need to be more like a creator and less like a broadcaster or a brand. But two, what I increasingly need to tell people is that 
there are no shortcuts. This is not going to be an overnight thing. And YouTube really is like a slow burn. It's definitely like a long-term play. You need to invest quite a lot up front with, uh, I'd say, little return on investment. But the flip side of that is that your investment, once you do hit a certain uh, size and a certain amount of growth, is that those videos that you uploaded two, three, four, five years ago, even seven, eight, nine years ago, can continue to deliver you views, brand recognition, and also, you know, some significant revenue. Whereas something like a Facebook video on a Facebook page, it may go viral um, and, you know, rack up a large amount of views, but either way, that's pretty much going to disappear from the platform uh, after about, what, 72 hours, would you say, Carlos? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it all depends if it goes, quote unquote, viral in a way. Uh, but obviously, that's the last thing you should be uh, expecting. When I talk with creators who create regular content, they're in this space that, you know, if they stop creating content, they're dead in the water, right? They're like, they're, their channel stops. And that's a little bit of a missed opportunity because you know they've been chasing almost like uh, chasing this virality or the, the, the latest trends to grow their channel and at the same time not focusing on maybe content that could be very profitable for them in the long run and i tend to see this more on content creators or content owners that have like libraries of content it does it works really well and if you plan ahead and if you think about you know, the type of content that would be what the industry likes to call evergreen, that could really help alleviate your stress in the future in terms of like, oh, I need to upload or else, you know, my views are going to go down type of situation. Yeah. So this is what we're going to be speaking about today. How do you have a long-term content strategy that will continue to pay years after a video is uploaded? So we've worked with big channels with vast catalogs of videos, you know, channels with thousands of videos. So Carlos, can you let us know what is the effect that, you know, having a well-oiled YouTube channel that continues to get views on its back catalog, what does that look like in terms of success on YouTube or not? What difference have you seen kind of the power of a, a strong back catalog on YouTube have on a channel? Well, I think what it does is that it creates this sort of stability, right? You don't need to sort of like be consistently stressed out about uploading a new video or how the new video is going to do versus uh, making sure that your library is discoverable. I have videos, uh, me, who is not a YouTuber, have something like two or three videos that, you know, over the years that I've created because I was testing out, because I was doing, you know, little things here and there that many years later, they're still generating views. They're actually growing in views every, every, every month or every six months. They're not making millions of views here to thousands, if not hundreds of views a month. But that to me shows that it's giving me a signal to say like, Hey, there's people interested into this content. If you want it to be a focused channel, maybe you should lose this intelligence. I think one of the effects that it does give you or one of the benefits that it gives you is that signal of when you create content that has long life, 
that you see after a few years. Wait a minute, this video that I made three years ago is still in my top 10 every month. Well, you should be paying attention to that video and seeing how can you create more videos like that because that's going to be your YouTube sort of like line, your analytics line. It's not going to be this like crazy ups and downs. It's going to be this flat line that ebbs and flows, but not at the level that, you know, most creators who create huge videos or want to have that big influx of views see it's not going to be the same situation yeah and i think it's definitely a case of what is widely known as like the 80 20 rule where 20 percent of your content is likely to produce 80 percent of your views every month and um that's a sign of a, a really strong back catalog and like you say i've seen channels where it's the same top 10 videos every single month, despite having successful new videos, because they're just so well embedded into YouTube's ecosystem and YouTube's algorithm that it's just a constant source of views and revenue. And like you say, because especially if they're good videos and YouTube are continually sending people to these videos and they've got good audience retention, they really deliver, uh, they keep people watching for long sessions and youtube are going to just keep continuing to send people to those same videos so it almost becomes like a a virtuous circle or you know a a self-fulfilling prophecy but like i say i've seen channels where 80 percent of the revenue are coming from just 20 percent of the videos on a channel where there may be you know 1500 videos and that 20 percent that's generating that revenue were made maybe six seven eight yeah, nine years ago, um, and I think there's there's two reasons for that. One is like the example I gave before, when there's just a cycle of views, especially suggested views. They're getting connected to other big videos on the platform. They're getting connected to each other, and people are just going into like the wormhole of watching five or six videos on your channel that are highly related. The second benefit of having a strong back catalog is if something pops that is trending and you've got a really good video, even if it's old, it can start to kind of jack that traffic from that trend, even if you don't touch it or kind of mean that. So I'll give you an example. We had a video on one of the BBC channels that I ran (laughs) about a kangaroo. Uh, I think it was, um, if I remember rightly, it was kangaroo, a kangaroo that like looked like it was boxing. It wasn't one of the 20%. It wasn't driving us views and revenue month on month, but it did pretty much rank number one for the word kangaroo. And then one weekend, there was a pretty shocking video that went really viral of, uh, I think it was a, a man that actually hit a kangaroo. And I don't suggest you go and watch it. It's hor- it was horrific. But just by the quirk of the platform that, and that our, our back catalog was so well optimized that we got all of the suggested traffic pretty much from that one viral video. And that video, like I say, wasn't doing amazing for us before that, but all of a sudden it was, you know, one, two million views over a weekend purely from suggested. So that's another real advantage is that if you've got a large enough back catalog and it's all evergreen enough, you never know when it might pop. Got another really good example of a video that we had. It was a history video. It was from really early days of youtube i think it even might have been uploaded in something like 
380p <laughs> you know it was less it was less than standard definition it was four by three it was really grainy and it was a kind of an intentionally funny clip of a historian trying to mimic what a neanderthal might sound like again wasn't doing great wasn't part of our 20 percent. but all of a sudden it gets put onto reddit hits the front page of reddit goes completely viral and again a few million views uh, within a few days and that just shows the power of having a strong and evergreen back catalog is that anything can be yeah. picked up at any time by the platform uh, whether it's off platform or yeah. by youtube's algorithm so you like you say trying to move away from purely having kind of trending yeah. videos and stuff that have a long lasting value is it's really the game changer it's really where the big money's made on youtube so even if you look at someone like pewdiepie or mr beast i absolutely love like he's making great videos now but his old videos of him like reading the dictionary or saying logan paul's name ten thousand times they're still continuing to get yeah tons and tons of views um because those videos deliver value whatever that value is whether it's education entertainment curiosity it's delivering those values in perpetuity, you know, someone like Dude Perfect. Their videos are great 10 years later because they're just incredible videos. They're not necessarily having to rely on what's happening on the platform or in the news um, at this moment in time. Exactly. I bring in more from a perspective of like, you know, into DIY type of stuff, right? You know, yeah. I've recently, I've been working uh, with a channel owner that has like, you know, 500 videos and you know, they've decided to jump into this whole, like, you know, for the past couple of years, they've been doing, trying to get viral and like, you know, jumping into the latest trends and doing sketches and all that sort of stuff. And I, I pointed out, look, your video from three years ago or four years ago, that was a completely different, you know, thing. It was a recipe. It was a niche subject, you know, a very specific type of, of recipe. And every month it's generating you know, hundreds of thousands of views and it's just going up and up and up every month. And you're still trying to do these viral clips that get a couple of thousand views, but die on the vine very quickly. You're not using the learnings from these videos that are driving views many years later. Right. And to me, it's the learnings that, you know, sometimes can be a little bit, to me, I find frustrating because it keeps happening. I keep seeing this situation where, you got a channel owner that just wants to jump into the latest trends. But, you know, if, if you go into the tried and true, what people are actually really looking for uh, on your channel and you see, wait a minute, they're, you know, they, they'd rather see this type of content from me. You know, yes, it's not going to go viral. It's not going to be shared across the social media uh, it, to be like, watch this. It's going to be like, hey, this is a useful piece of content it's consistent, right? People just keep coming back to it. It happened to my wife and happened to my wife and me where many years ago when she was kicking the tires on YouTube, she decided to make a video of us pasting wallpaper in our apartment. And I looked at it yesterday. It's still her number five monthly views on her channel. It's about to hit 140,000 views four years later. I mean, she's not a, she's not a big YouTuber, but it's pretty amazing to see how that video still drives organic views on a regular basis. And if we would have been like, you know, home DIYers, that would have been the signal to tell us, oh, we should turn our channel to a home DIY channel. And it would have probably done really well. 
because we would have seen that signal. Yeah, okay. So there's going to be a lot of people out there that are nodding their heads like, yeah, I see that 80-20, definitely that's my channel. But then there are going to be a lot of people as well that have got large catalogs and they're nodding along and they're saying, yeah, yeah, we've got evergreen stuff, but they're not seeing that same result from their back catalogs. Is there a point or is there something that you can do to help encourage the discovery um, of your old videos? You can update it, like the optimization side of things. That's to me, it's like the basic thing that you can sort of do. And it works. It's what, it's what uh, you do for uh, your clients. And it's what I've done for a few people as well, where they have a huge library of content. You realize that, you know, three years ago, the way they, they put the title or the way they put the tags or the description wasn't correct and and that's one of the things that you can help do that another one would be to sort of look at how that type of content is being shared or is being consumed from other channels or from from your views yourself and just seeing like how you can mimic that maybe it's a question of like hey this is a recipe that uh, i keep falling to recipes because that's to me it's the easy easy sort of solution but it's a recipe that's really interesting right now. Maybe I should share it again and share it at specific times of the year that makes sense for that, you know, roll cake recipe. I bring that example up because again, I have this chef channel that I managed for about a year and I saw that there was a specific Christmas recipe that would explode every year. When I started working with them, I went in and I said, well, let's fix the title, let's fix the tags and all that sort of stuff. And then the year after, it blew up even bigger, right? So it's it's taking a look at those signals and saying, okay, well, you know, yes, I'm not getting a lot of views, but there's enough data there that will help you optimize your channel and say, okay, well, this piece of content is getting views in a specific time of year. Uh, how can I fix that? How can I make sure that it gets better and better uh, every year? And I just want to dig a bit deeper into this because I think there's a, there are a lot of myths or at least what I would consider misconceptions around optimizing and re-optimizing existing videos. So what would be your kind of outline for how you approach? Let's say I'm a client, I've got 500 videos, they're good content, but they're just, they've been horribly uploaded. What would be your approach to coming in and fixing or not fixing those existing 500 videos so we're not talking about the new videos that i'm creating do you have a, a general strategy of how you go in and look at the back catalog shall we say one strategy that i haven't done yet but i will do it for the next time is i will call my friend tom and do some keyword research <laughs> <laughs> yes of course please do yeah one of the things that i usually start doing is uh, no matter what whenever there's a, a content owner that has a lot of content already up there there is some data there to sort of you know to, to get some learnings to see what's working what's not working what i tend to do is i start you know categorizing the channel i start looking at top um, let's just say it's a channel with like a thousand videos okay well you know it's not really worth it to spend a, a lot of time refixing a thousand videos so i focus on the top 10 top 100 it all depends on the size of the channel and see okay which are the top videos that are performing on the channel and which ones should be optimized right away when when i say optimize it's the whole gamut of the the thumbnail the title the description the tags playlists and that's 
usually my first step as soon as I get into a channel and start, you know, poking around and saying, okay, what's the best solution here to get things moving in terms of discovery and get the juices going on the algorithm. So a couple of questions around that. One, what do you think is like the biggest lever that you can pull to kind of add some rocket fuel to to uh, an older catalog? And secondly, what is your opinion on messing with a video that is already doing well? So you might not have 20% of your catalog doing really well, but you may have one or two videos that are by far the outliers on the channel. What is your opinion on touching those videos at all in, in terms of kind of retrospective optimization? Yeah, from my perspective, it's don't mess with them too much because they're obviously doing well and you could ruin it. What I tend to do is check back on them every couple of months and use TubeBuddy <laughs> to, to look at the tags to see which ones are ranking higher than, and than the rest. And sometimes they the ranking changes, right? I tend to just focus a little bit more on the description, not really the title, although the thumbnail could be something that could be messed around with, but that's a big one that I'd be a little bit more careful with. Yeah, I tend to not try to change too much of it, especially when it's seeing growth. If it's not seeing growth, if it's flatlined or it's it's sort of like going down, then I feel a little bit more comfortable of like, changing the title, changing the thumbnails, doing the research to see like what other people are, are doing, what other videos are doing well in the ecosystem to mimic that. And that, that's where I would go with that. Cool. That's, that's really interesting. I'm probably a little bit more bullish on going in and just tidying up everything, probably because I'd say like the kind of system that I use to approach a YouTube channel works best when there's consistency across every single video on the channel. So that's, that's, that's a good strategy. Yeah. The only problem with that is if it was my channel, if I was brought in to a company as a full-time employee, that's what I would do personally. But I always say to cover myself to kind of independent creators, if there's a video that pretty much pays your mortgage and feeds your family, maybe don't touch it because you can't <laughs> afford to, to mess with it. So that's the kind of caveat, but generally I'm, I'm quite bullish on changing videos that are, even if they're driving you know huge amounts amounts of views so my next question is kind of something we've touched on in terms of like create a burnout and you know taking a break but you know we've come from a, a tv world where you know people are uploading clips or full episodes but at some point you're going to run out of of content to publish if, you, if you're working with a finite library so my question to you carlos and i don't know if, if you've got first-hand experience or not if not maybe if you could give us your opinion but can a channel ever be a complete project can it be like we've uploaded every episode of tv show x or we've done every single challenge that we've ever thought of around this or we've created every single recipe from you know the portuguese desserts <laughs> which I know you love, can it ever be finished? Can you ever just say, right, that's the, we're going to close the book on that. We're not going to make anything private. We're just going to let it sit there and just enjoy life as a complete channel. We're not going to upload to it anymore. Does that work anymore? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you'll never make uh, the 100% potential in terms of like, you know, the opportunity here. Like, it, it's not like your, your revenue is going to go up. I actually still monitor a bunch of channels that have, in a way, been abandoned. 
and uh, no longer create content. It, it, it really depends on the type of content you make. Again, this is where we're sort of like forcing the whole evergreen situation. Yeah. I have a channel that was a sketch troupe comedy team. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that these sketch troupe comedy channels are really tough to keep going. I mean, the, the Dude Perfect guys have done really well. Uh, I, I don't want to call them sketchers, but like in terms of keeping it together and keep going, because when you, when you, as soon as you have a team of people, it's really tough to sort of get them to keep be consistent for many 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 years that being said that channel is completely dead like they've had many viral videos in the past but like they're just gone channels it just does not make any money anymore but on the other side of things a channel that has a lot of useful content diy type content the views are still there they're still making money and again we're not talking about like PewDiePie money here. We're not talking about like, you know, T-Series money here. We're talking, you know, revenue that's consistent. You're not going to see, you know, 50% growth month over month. Uh, you're going to see like, you know, again, I, I, I want to sort of put an example here, but like, you know, I have a channel that consistently makes between four to $500 a month and not uploading content and hasn't uploaded content in a year. And that's like a low channel uh, in terms of that. So it can happen. It just means that your channels, it's not going to make more money. It might just stagnate and just keep stagnate for a while. And then you also run the risk of YouTube changing things, right? You know, the reason why everybody pushes for consistent content is because you are learning how the, the system keeps working or keeps changing. It's good now. It's been good for the past, you know, since I've been on it, but I'm always sort of careful and saying like, it could always change. They could always just mess it up and just like completely turn things off and make it so that your old content doesn't work anymore. But again, so far, so good. I've seen it, you know, many, many times. Yeah, I've seen. Um, so I had one channel where it had, it was a huge channel, so many videos and each new video didn't do a huge amount of views or revenue, but we continued to upload new video all the time because the way that the analogy that I always use is that that's just coal that we're just shoveling into the furnace um, to keep the engine going because the old back catalog was so valuable that we were worried that if we stopped uploading, then the channel generally would fall in YouTube's eyes. Yeah. And they'd just be less likely to send people to the back catalog that was so, so valuable. So even though the new videos were almost not worth our time to upload on a you know a return on investment for that particular video the benefit to having those old 20 percent still receiving traffic was for us an, an easy decision to make because that back catalog was so valuable on another channel we actually tried to do it as some kind of calculation as scientifically as possible and we worked out that when we changed, again, because we were running out of content, this had a finite catalog, we discovered that, I can't remember the numbers because this was probably, you know, four or five years ago. We found out that when we went from three videos a week to one video a week, there was a significant drop-off in the viewership of the back catalog. Wow. And then I think we then had a small break of uploading nothing at all, and I think the views across the channel, and this was a channel where the back catalog was extremely valuable. Um, I think we saw a 30% drop off in overall views of the back catalog when we stopped uploading. I think that was only for maybe a month. 
Uh, and as soon as soon as we started uploading again, coal into the furnace, the engine starts moving, uh, and then it picks up again. So I think you're right. It probably does depend on the channel, the niche, if people are being coming into the channel by search or suggested. But I, I definitely think where you can, you want to keep the the lights on, even if it's just on a kind of like skeleton basis. Yeah, just to keep YouTube uh, at least thinking that you you're still a kind of active channel. Yeah, I think there there are actually a lot of YouTube creators out there that still to this day like their newer videos pale in comparison in terms of regular views or the views they would get, you know, in, in you know, five six years ago. But uh, they keep uploading, and it just keeps the engine warm. And I do think that helps overall. But, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that if you create the right channel, you're going to get a hit if you stop. But it doesn't mean you're going to get, uh, you know, you're going to go to zero. It just means that it's going to slow down. And, you know, the, the amount of money uh, you're going to continue making is going to be a little bit less and ebb and flow depending on, on the seasons and stuff. So it's just different for everybody as usual. Yeah. And I think the more evergreen you are, the less that hit. Yeah will be yeah so you know like you said about your diy channel if you're delivering value and people are searching for a solution to a problem uh, and you answer that question then i think you're, you're still going to get that search but um yeah you do need to keep kind of fueling the fire so just to wrap up quickly i don't think that the importance of a back catalog is going to change going forward i'm not even going to bother to ask you carlos because i know that you agree that I think it's, it's going to be even more important. But I think with some changes to YouTube's algorithm recently, one trick to kind of get the most value out of your back catalog would be to kind of re-upload and repackage existing videos. How do you see that being used in the future? Do you recommend it? Um, and if so, like what are the what are the tips or what are the dangers of kind of reusing existing content on the same channel. So you're talking about like using old content that had already been uploaded like years ago and just repackaging it and re-uploading it? Yeah, yeah. I've seen that happen a lot. I've seen a lot of channels just like almost do like a repost or a kind of throwback Thursday and it's just a, a repost of a video that they may have posted, you know, eight years ago. So they're basically trying to get eyeballs on it. Yeah. I mean, and obviously their audience is bigger, so it might be, you know, new discovery, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, that's not a, not a bad idea. When I think back catalogs, I always think of like TV catalogs and uh, uploading that. But especially because five years ago, you probably had 100 subscribers. Now you have, you know, 100,000 and, you know, people missed out on that video and it was really good. And maybe it didn't hit the audience that it could have back then. So using that strategy is great strategy to sort of you know get get things going again you see it in many other industries like the industry of podcasting yeah podcast definitely whenever i listen to this american life and it's got like you know i think it's got like 600 700 episodes at this point and but you know sometimes there's some months where they or some weeks where they're not uploading a new episode and just you know re re-upload a new one re-edit it a little bit and it does the work because when you have that much content, it's impossible for everybody to have listened to or watched that episode. So I think it's a great strategy to start doing when you do have a backlog of content. I'm not 100% sure how beneficial that is when it's a piece of content that is highly searched. 
that is uh, highly valuable on that side of things. When it's a piece of content that's like more of a story content or a or a random video or a video that just you know didn't hit the mark, I think that's more of a good strategy for that. But like, let's just say you know you uploaded a full season of a specific show. People are always going to be searching for that show when it's being known. Re-uploading that show again, I don't think is going to really do anything to it. Yeah, it, it really sort of like depends on on your content as usual. But I bring the anecdote of the podcast where you know I've listened to a bunch of series where like many years later I'll they'll re-upload an episode. That's like I feel like I've heard this before, but I like hearing this again because it's a great story and I missed it the first time. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a strategy that I used to use a lot. Um, so we would re-upload clips that had already been uploaded, but, you know, we'd upload them in HD because the first time that we uploaded them, YouTube didn't have HD capabilities. Or we uploaded it in 4 by 3 or we'd, you know, we'd cropped off the wrong ending. So we'd republish almost exactly the same and then we'd just, we'd just put, like, HD or HQ at the end of it. Yeah. The problem with this strategy now, though, is, and I'm talking like 28, end of 2018, 2019, is that YouTube are really starting to clamp down on what they would call like duplicative content. True. So if they see the videos that are like 95% the same, you know, they're going to algorithmically, they may, you know, throttle that. Worst case, they may even like demonetize or you know, give you some kind of strike. So what I would say is instead of just re-uploading, I'd say totally either re-edit or repackage. So, you know, you might put it into a list of top 10 greatest, you know, top 10 greatest stunts that you pulled, you know, yeah. uh, instead of just re-uploading that one stunt as a, as a single video. Oh, I agree. And what I also advocate is if it's a, a really good video, but it looks old and it's outdated. Just remake the video for 2019. So you know, True. you know how to wallpaper paste <laughs> your apartment. Do the 2019 version. Yep. What are the changes in? What are the advancements in wallpaper paste? <laughs> and <laughs> um, are there new tools that you can use? New new hints. What have you learned? So yeah, definitely. You know, be careful in in not in reusing your back, back catalog without really delivering any extra value. One other tip that I would say in terms of getting the most out of your back catalog is where relevant, put it on other platforms. You know, Is there a way that you could monetize that on TikTok, on Facebook, on Facebook Watch, on Instagram? Is it suitable for something like Amazon Prime Video? You know, if you've got TV-like content or you know, stuff that can be binge watched, would it be suitable for people? Would they watch it on, you know, prime video? Is it suitable that you could strip the audio and make a podcast out of it? Who knows? Um, so I would say, yeah, look for other places that you could monetize that content other than YouTube, because a lot of these avenues just didn't exist when you may have uploaded that video seven, eight years ago, who knows? And, you know, if, Instagram starts to bring monetization, direct monetization to the platform soon. That could be a good avenue. We've seen Facebook start to monetize. Uh, and I've seen success in people um, moving their catalogs, uh, not moving them, but duplicating them across over to Facebook, even though they may be uh, several years old. So uh, that's definitely something that I think uh, our listeners should be thinking about. 
Yeah, I've seen I've seen it happen. I've, I've heard a couple of creators talk about being successful with repackaging, re-editing their content, putting it on Facebook, and doing well there as well. And um, uh, you know, the the podcast idea is actually something that I've recommended quite a few times to a couple of creators that you know will you know sometimes upload this a big monologue or a conversation they're having on on uh, on one of their videos, and I'm like. Why don't you just, you know, export the audio and just, you know, upload? Because at the end of the day, like the, the, the value is the conversation as opposed to the video. And, uh, you know, everybody falls into video because it's easy and not because it's easy because the, the monetization is easy. But, you know, the, a podcast can really help grow the awareness of your channel if people are constantly looking for uh, for content, there's always opportunities out there. So everything you've said is uh, totally on board with. Yeah. So evergreen, what we're saying basically is that the past is the future. <laughs> <laughs> so make sure when you're when you're uploading and creating videos, have you got a one eye on this being still valuable in in ten years time? So yeah, really really think about that. And if there's any other comments or tips you've got around. Um, getting the most out of your back catalog please let us know you can email us hello at video insiders or you can tweet at us at video insiders yes and uh we actually got a tweet just the in the last day Woo! somebody finally said uh you know that they really enjoyed an episode so really appreciate that feedback perfect so yeah keep that feedback coming keep the reviews coming and make sure you're subscribed in the podcatcher of your choice and of course before we go we have to say a huge thank you to our sponsor TubeBuddy and remember you can get a unique and exclusive Video Insiders discount by visiting videoinsiders.fm forward slash TubeBuddy thank you TubeBuddy Tom it was a pleasure it was always a pleasure Carlos and guys let us know what you would like us to make future episodes about we love to hear what you want to hear and that's what we'll be looking to create in the future and we hope to hear from you soon and you'll be hearing from us in a couple of weeks awesome take care